Marlene Hutchinson, and welcome to Tips for Guitar Playing Success. As many of you know, I've been sharing my guitar playing tips every Thursday for more than 10 years. It's been my way to hopefully help you stay motivated, be inspired, and continue expanding your guitar playing journey. If you're interested in more learning resources like my guitar courses, lesson of the month club, coaching, Thursday tips blog, and more, go to my website, marlenesmusic.com. And for anyone who's listening and feeling like you're missing out on all the guitar playing fun, you can easily get started with my super simple Learn to Play Guitar in a Day course. Now, on to today's tip. This podcast is brought to you in part by Gator. Whether you just need a bag to gig with on the weekends or a frequent flyer needing a flight-friendly TSA series case or a dedicated road warrior bringing your instruments on tour, Gator has a solution for you. World-class guitar and bass players, DJs, and recording professionals know for the stuff you love, guard it with Gator. Also brought to you by buying a guitar online should be fun. And with Sweetwater's Guitar Gallery, you can choose your next guitar with confidence. Sweetwater's detailed 55-point inspection ensures that each instrument valued $3.99 and above is shipped in factory-fresh condition and ready to play. You can count on the fact that they have looked at every aspect of that guitar or bass from the input jack to the headstock, the same way you would in a store. To buy your guitar online, go to Sweetwater.com. The link is in the show notes. Today's your lucky day because you're about to hear many useful and valuable tips for playing guitar. In fact, I'd call this interview a masterclass for all playing levels. And after you've had a chance to listen to the interview, go to my YouTube channel, Marlene's Music One, to see videos of the playing techniques and skills that are talked about during the interview. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm super excited because we have a special guest on the show today, and it's none other than John Knowles. Hey, John, how are you doing? Oh, doing great here in Nashville. There in Nashville. I love it. Music City. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know you're going to inspire a lot of people, and we're also in for a special treat because at the end of the show, John is going to share some of his music live with us. So I'm looking forward to that. But before we get started, I do want you to know a little bit more about John. Guitarists around the world learn from John Knowles' Fingerstyle Quarterly and his True Fire videos. He has authored seven books of music of Chet Atkins, Jerry Reed, and Lenny Brow. John's music has been recorded by Chet Atkins, Jerry Reed, Tommy Emanuel, The Romero Family, and James Galway. His Gorilla song, co-written with his son Jay, is an international hit with recordings by Rafi and Shusha. 
Heart Songs, John's album of duets with Tommy Emmanuel was recently awarded Recording of the Year by the National Flat Pickers Hall of Fame. In 1996, Chet Atkins awarded John an honorary CGP, Certified Guitar Player. And in 2004, John was inducted into the National Thumb Pickers Hall of Fame for the second time. His work has won a Grammy and two Emmy nominations. John earned his Ph.D. in physics from Texas Christian University in 1968. And I love this quote by John. I set out to be a better teacher than most players. And a better player than most teachers. That's awesome. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that quote came up in an interview, and I just kind of blurted it out. And and I realized I'd kind of said something that really made sense to me. And so it ended up being the pull quote in the magazine article. So I, I decided that was one of those moments where you realize that you do have a mission statement, you know. And that's what I've been doing. I I was really putting as much emphasis on being a good teacher as I was on being a good player. And you are absolutely both. Well, let's dive in. I was thinking a great place to start is if you could tell us a little bit about your musical journey. Like, where did your music life start? Well, I tell you, I, I, um, I think that is a very important place for every creative person to start. So for me, I come, uh, my granddad and my dad, both preachers. So I grew up hearing the church choir and the organist and rehearsals. I would listen to the uh, choir director say, let me hear the altos. Now let me hear everybody. So I got to where I was listening as a little kid to all the music being taken apart and, you know, put back together. And then on Sunday, I would move around the congregation and look for an alto or a tenor that I could sit next to. The congregation thought, that little Johnny, he is so nice. They didn't know I was auditioning the congregation. (laughs) (laughs) But then also, uh, I had uncles who loved jazz and my dad had a great classical record collection. And so it was, I'm the musician in the family in terms of being one, but I was surrounded by uh, music. It was easy to grow up with, you know, a love of music. And then um, I think at that point when you decide you want to take music lessons, uh, accordion was really popular. The best thing about that is, uh, you know, if you look back in school and music and everything, you think of the great teachers and the learning moments that you had. My accordion teacher was tops. So I was five or six. Wow. And, he, you know, the buttons over there on one side? Yes. Lined up uh, like the uh, like the order of chords and keys. Like in the middle is C, down is the flat keys, and up is the sharp keys. If you're in the key of C and you want the F chord, it's down that way, and the G chord is up that way. So you kind of learn the relationships of how chords uh, work together as groups, not just, you know, individually. So later on, every now and then, it's really funny. I think when Tommy Emanuel and I were working on something, and I was explaining something, he said, are you playing the accordion? You know, <laughs> reaching up in the air as I talked, you know. And do you still play the accordion? No, but I'm in my knowledge of how things <laughs> yes. work. I guess I was yes. playing air accordion there for a moment. You know. That also had a big influence on me, you know, because uh, all those things I learned to play on the accordion, once I got on frets, you know, I thought, where is that same music? One of my, um, my actual first guitar was a ukulele. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. $3 over at the local pharmacy. And um, I got home and I pulled out that little instruction sheet and it had three chords. Well, I knew there was more than that from the accordion. Okay. Looking, you know, for everything else. And so my first 
a court, my first guitar lessons are really me trying to decipher the way the fretboard works by knowing how the accordion worked. I put a capo up here so you can hear. That's what the ukulele sounds like, you know. Yes, it does. And so you learn this chord, and this one, and this one. And then after that, I was on my own. <clears throat> so uh, it's kind of funny, you know, if you think about that, because there's a whole thing of, did you take lessons or were you self-taught? And the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> lessons are showing up in the way I'm teaching myself. I think all of us are responsible for teaching ourselves, for making sense of what we've been offered, I guess I would say. And so right. I remember my first big uh, thing, I could play the scale. Because I knew there was such a thing. And I learned how to play Lady of Spain. Nice. So it was it was a hot number back then. No? <laughs> so that translated easily in your mind to ukulele. Oh yeah, it's and it. I think the other thing that uh, I gained at that point, and I would hope this for every musician, is at some point, no matter how much instruction you're given, to at some point take ownership of how you're what you're doing. Uh, you need to make sense of it for yourself and all of that, you know. And that's what I was doing when I was 11 or 12 years old. So Okay, so you played accordion and you played ukulele. When did guitar come into your life? I think I was about uh, 13. So 11 to 13, I was ukulele. And then uh, I just saw that the guitar was way cooler. Uh, but I, the guitar was not a hot ticket back then. Uh, that's That's... The vintage I am, you know, if you can imagine. This is before folk music and rock and roll and all that. Okay. There were guitars out there, but you could go to a music store, and they may or may not have a guitar, if you can imagine that. You know. Wow. No, I can't. <laughs> the first guitar I had was too big for me, so I didn't play it much. But then I found one that was three-quarter size, a Gibson. Okay. And that one really made sense, because I could reach around it and play things. And so I, uh, and I found a teacher. Uh, my teacher was a, uh, a high school choir director who I played know. guitar on the weekends in a club. So he knew, you know, all this stuff, knew that kind of stuff. And he knew I was listening to Chet Atkins records because I discovered that. That's the thing I wanted. I said, can somebody show me how to play like Chet Atkins? And uh-huh. said, when you figure it out, you show us. <laughs> you know, there was no YouTube and all that stuff that we kind of take for granted, right? It was just what you heard on the radio? That's right, yeah. Wow. And that inspired you. Okay, so you started playing guitar in your teens, and did you start playing fingerstyle right away? No, I had a, a pick like everybody would. And then when I heard Chet, I started. I put the pick aside sometimes, tried to play with my fingers. I did not know he had a thumb pick. I hadn't until I got that third record that it was a picture of a thumb pick, you know. And, you know, and I also, you know, and I, I just same in the same spirit of playing along with uh, the ukulele. Let me see. One of the songs that was on that first uh, Chet Atkins album was called Fingerstyle Guitar. And there were a lot of amazing pieces on it. But one of the things that was on it was him playing a fingerstyle version of Glowworm. I could tell, you know, from the accordion, you can hear this and you can hear that. So I can sure. hear the layers and the way Chet played. So this okay. is like along with Chet Atkins. And meanwhile, he was just ripping along, you know. But at, at that point, oh. I, knew I was I was deciphering it piece by piece. 
And so later on, I kept listening. And I, I did. I couldn't get it all, you know, uh, but I got a lot that way. Uh, so I'm probably 14 or 15 when I'm doing that. And then by the time I'm 15, um, a friend of mine got a marimba for Christmas, and he got his picture in the paper for unusual Christmas presents, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a steel guitar player saw the picture, and he said, I know a Hawaiian restaurant that would hire us if you know a guitar player. And I was the only guitar player he knew. So the three of us get together and rehearse and learn uh, three songs from the steel guitar player who knew lots of Hawaiian music. <clears throat> we go audition, and I remember the restaurant owner saying, you guys are great, can you start tonight? You know, Wow. Four o'clock in the afternoon, we're going out to the parking lot, and I say, well, we got time to learn some more tunes. We don't need any more tunes. We're going to go get matching shirts. We're <laughs> so we went shopping for Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> so oh, that's funny. My first gig, you know, I would be doing like da D seven da 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 like that. Yeah. The chord names, and I'd be trying to keep up. Wow, talk about on the job training. On job training, you know, one of the things that happened is. I became a real band member. You learn how to play with the rest of the band, good time. Mm. Uh, you also learn things like um, just kind of what good band band habits are. You know, you realize you and the and, and the bartender and the cook, you're all in the same business for the customer who comes in to the restaurant. Sure. You're you're special up to a point, you know. But if the if the you know the shrimp is not good, you're not any good either. So. <laughs> Good point. You take yourself not too seriously, you know, so. Well, that must have been fun. And what a surprising start. So that was really the beginning of your professional career. And I'm 15, which means my mom drives me to the gig and the marimba <laughs> player drives me home. Oh, I, so I love it. A couple of years in before I could, had a driving license, you know, so. Wow, that's great. So now you went on to college and studied physics, got your PhD, Dr. John Knowles, which is totally phenomenal. Were you playing as you were doing your college work or did you stop and do college and then jump back in? What was that like? They would not let me major in music because I played the guitar. And uh, my son, same uncle who played uh, the guitar a little bit was uh, worked for the uh, electric company, knew all this. So he taught me to solder and make radios and things like that. So I said, well, I'll study science. So I did that and went all the way through. And for a couple of years, I worked at uh, Texas Instruments in Dallas. And that's about the time they were trying to make calculators not this big and not $700, you know. Yeah. And so uh, that was a great job. And then our son was born, and I thought, you know, I don't, I don't think this is what I'm cut out to do. It's, I'm getting paid. I go clock in. Look, I kept at three o'clock. I would look at my wrist and say, "Can I go home and play the guitar?" Yet? So Becky and I had a conversation, and uh, the conversation was really about how are we going to do it, not whether or not we were going to do it. And um, so now I'm in Dallas, and there's a music store that's opened, and one of the owners of the store had been an Andre Segovia master class, so they were really drawing some other good teachers, and I was teaching guitar there. And uh, all of a sudden, I was really, I found my people, you know. So I was working with other teachers and other students for two or three years, and along the way, 
other good classical players came to town and would do workshops. So uh, Pepe Romero came and did some things, uh, Christopher Parkening. So I got to sit down. I remember taking off my thumb pick because now I wasn't going to be a classical player anymore, you know. And that's when I found nylon strings also. And now I play, but it looks, to a non-classical player, I look like a classical player. To a classical player, they go, yeah, maybe not, you know. Because I'm so lost Nashville in the way I play, you know, so. Well, you do hold the guitar in what I would call the classical position, but you do play different styles of music. That's um, true, yeah. You can sit down and play some of the classical things I played. I was really serious about it. Um, and then somewhere along in there, I think one of my students, uh, Chet Atkins, was going to come and play with the um, Dallas Symphony. And so uh, I knew the players. So I knew that if you wanted to meet Chet Atkins, go to the rehearsal. Don't hang around after the show. Oh, you know. Okay. So a couple of my students and I went to uh, this rehearsal, and um, and what I remember was introducing myself, and he said, "John Knowles." He said, "I think Rick Foster showed me some of your music." And I really? Thought, what? This you know because you know how guitar players are, we trade licks. And yeah. He had gone to Nashville, and Rick had showed him one of my things, and so at that point, Chet says. He hands me his guitar and he says, show me what you're working on. So now I realize now that was one of those things he knew how to do was kind of get everybody out of hero worship mode into collaborator mode, you know. And so it it didn't dawn on me how much he has suckered me into playing. (laughs) And we were swapping licks and and I I showed him, um, I think the first thing I showed him... My wife's mom and dad had been to see that movie, The Sting. Okay. And he said, you should go see that movie. I think John would like that music. And so one of the things in it was the entertainer, you know. And it's in the key of C. And I figured out if you could change it to D, you'd get that low run we play. Okay. Oh, Yeah. And that's about all I had worked up at that point. And Chet said, finish that up and send it to me. And so we were collaborators now. So that's the first time you met Chet Atkins? I met him, and within 20 minutes, we're working on a project. Wow. Was he like that? Was that just the way he was? You know, and I I talked to other people who say the same thing. You know, uh, and I watched him. A songwriter would come in and do a song, and Chet said, well, give me a cassette of that song and show me that lick you're using for the intro. And he was just, he was absolutely just like you and I are about it. Well, obviously you had a long time relationship and collaboration with Chet Atkins. I would say a relationship of mutual respect because he awarded you the honor of CGP, Certified Guitar Player. There's only a handful of people with that distinction and honor that was given by Chet. Maybe you can name some of those if you'd like, but you're one of the very, very few hand-selected guitarists to receive this honor, and it's well-deserved. But how did it come your way? What I remember was uh, Chet started using those initials after his name about the same time he went from RCA Records to CBS, and they were trying to reach a different audience than the country audience. He had gone through all these. He'd been Chester Atkins and his galloping guitar. And he was Chet Atkins, the country gentleman. Then he was Mr. Guitar. 
And I think he was trying to come up with a new thing. So CGP, and, and he didn't tell us what it was at first. And uh, we all started guessing. And one of the guesses was certified guitar player. He said, yeah, that could be it. It was country guitar picker. <laughs> he just thought the initial yeah, looked like, like PhD or something, you know. Yeah, which you have that one too. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, it's, it, that's what it was. And then uh, we had the Chet Atkins convention in the summer. And he and I had gotten to where uh, we would teach tunes in a kind of a large group setting. And so he would be the demonstrator and I would be the explainer. Oh, I love that. So it was really fun to do that, you know, to work with him. Um, he and I really understood each other. And we kind of knew which one of us had which thing going at a given moment. You know, we right. worked together. But I remember him saying, let me get John Knowles up here. And I thought, well, he's going to, we're going to teach a class something. And he said, you stand right here. And then he pulls out this thing right here and starts reading it. <laughs> and it says, to all who may see these presents, greetings. Know ye that whereas, and it goes all the whereases, you know. Yeah. About our, our friendship and relationship. Oh. Therefore, uh, Chad Atkins, with the power I have bestowed upon myself, <laughs> my friend, the award, which I may show and so on. So first degree, you know, and, and so that's that's it. And he signed it and the whole thing, you know, so and wow, like a diploma, you know. Wow. So it, it kind of um, it says something a whole lot about the whole teaching thing that we were doing together. The one he gave uh, Tommy Emanuel looks like a, a monument, you know, it says great <laughs> contributions. Uh, and uh, Steve Warner's looks like a, a, a gold record because they had oh. been a competition. Okay. Chad had won the Grammy, and he said, no, I think you should get this. And so he made a, a CGP award that looked like a gold record. Wow. Anyways, it was kind of a little friendship thing, you know, going on. But yeah, an exclusive club. I got to tell you, you know, I, I was really stunned, to say the least. Obviously, you had a very successful and enjoyable time together, collaboration and, and working together. And he recorded some of your music, which had to feel pretty darn good. Oh yeah. Well, then we did so occasionally. Uh, well, for one, the first thing I did was I wrote some arrangements of more movie tunes for that. Oh. Album. Had the entertainer on it. Then uh, when I moved to town, he would write a half a song and say, "I've got this song started. Come on to the office. I'll teach wow. you what I've got, and you can come up with the rest of it." So we would co-write a section, B section, like that. You know, um, sort of like you were finishing each other's sentences almost. Exactly, you know, yeah. I remember, I'll show you real quick, this is crazy. And he did this with a lot of players. He would. He was a record executive, you know, so he would be on the phone and returning his calls, and he would say to whoever was in the room, play me some music while I return my phone calls, you know. And if he got to something interesting, he would put somebody on hold and say, well, wow. you do it right there. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, one day... He said to me, um, he put somebody on hold and he said, tune the fourth string down a fret. And so I did. And it makes that ninth chord like we all make this way, you know. And I fiddled around. I thought, why is he doing that, you know. And then when he got off the phone call, he took my guitar and he said, you know, you can play the blues with one finger. So we got all the leftover fingers to play blues licks. 
And so and something I was doing made him mention that. He said, yeah, I said, uh, uh, Lenny Bro used to tune his guitar like that and play the blues. And then I thought about it, and this tuning, if you capo here, that's a C9 chord. That's the one that the Hawaiian steel guitar player used in my band. Ah, okay. He immediately started playing Hawaiian licks. Next thing we said, we should write a Hawaiian blues tune. And so we decided to call it Honolulu Blue. So from the phone calls to the retuning, to me telling the stories, you know, five or six steps later, we're writing a tune called Honolulu Blue. Ah. This album, uh, Street Dreams. I think you can find it on YouTube, you know. But that's kind of what it was like to be around him. Just, you know, one domino would fall and all of a sudden the creative process would just blow wide open, you know. Oh, that must have been an amazing experience. Wait a minute, what did we just do? Yeah. Also fearlessness, you know, not uh, just to kind of dive in. Like, let's just do it. Let's try it. Yeah. I think you're that way, too. I think that's probably why you had that type of relationship with Chad. I think... um, I think that's probably uh, probably a good observation. You know, we didn't sound alike when we played, uh, but I knew what he was doing, and um, and he knew what I was doing, and so we would steal back and forth from each other. We were very good collaborators in that sense. Right. Uh, so I'd do the same thing with Jerry Reed. You know, when Pat Bergeson moved to town, he would do it with Pat. Uh, so I, and I saw him do that a lot, uh, and he would also say. Uh, you ought to meet so-and-so because he, you guys would be good together. He was a, a real kind of maker of partners and relationships. Network, you know, yeah. Original Music City Networker, you're right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. Okay, so you have a thriving solo career. You tour all over. You do duets with people. You teach clinics and classes. And you're traveling all over. How do you do it all? <laughs> you know, uh, I've asked myself that question, too. I, I, one of the things I realized that um, you can't plan something like that. It's, a, it's not a job you can apply for, you know. But I, I've always kind of thrown myself at it full tilt. If, it's, if I wanted to do it, I'd try to figure out a way to do it. And along the way, I've had good collaborators. And then mm. Becky and I have had a good working partnership. A lot of times she'll do the business part while I do the music part. So, uh, you know, having a good life partner and good music partners is a huge part of it, you know, for me. And then our kids come along, and of course, our kids, we've got a songwriter and a dancer, you know. Our son, Jay, uh, is really successful in Nashville. Now, he's won a Grammy nomination for a song he wrote for Alan Jackson. Really? And then Amy went through being, uh, well, Jackson now. She's, everybody calls her Jackson. There were too many Amys in her room, you know. And so uh, she works now for uh, the school system in Austin, through a nonprofit partnering arts organizations with school systems. So oh, I love it. And I got the teaching, creating thing is kind of all over the family. Of course, the grandkids now, too. You know. Oh, that but, must be so joyful to see that part of your life, your legacy continue on. And I mean, not just through your family, of course, but through everyone whose life you've touched, whether it's a performance or your classes and clinics. So John and I were fortunate to be on a panel together at Guitar Town in Colorado, which sadly is no more. But that was where I met John. And, you know, we've remained in touch. And I'm so grateful for that because you're awesome and you're amazing. And you're just like how you described Chet. 
As we all know, you both perform and teach, and I'm just curious, what's your favorite part of what you do? You know, I, I think maybe the teaching has a slight edge. When I left Texas Instruments, so I was like 28, and I didn't have any illusions of being a child prodigy, you know, a little late. <laughs> and so I really thought teaching was going to be what put uh, bread on the table. And then, but I always kind of wanted to be a better player. So I was in workshops and really took some lessons. And so I really studied the classic guitar and got good at that. And then I met Chet and came to Nashville and learned from everybody else, too. So what happens along the way, I mean, my own sense of what's required, you're supposed to be a good musician. That's part of it, you know. It didn't seem to me like either or. Uh, and then the process, you hang out with guys like Chet, and pretty soon you're playing together around the office. And next thing you know, you're recording together. And before long, you've just kind of gotten into it. I think one of my favorite, excuse me, one of my favorite projects, uh, Chet and I and Leona Boyd, the classical guitarist from Canada, mm -hmm. and Shel Silverstein, you know, the guy that writes all the cartoons. Really? He's also a really famous songwriter. Oh, I didn't know that. And, and Chet were real good friends. And so, and uh, and Shel said, you know, I've got this idea. He said, uh, for an album, and he started, he held up his hands like vinyl, you know. And he said, there's four guitar players, and they're in tuxedos and cowboy boots. <laughs> they look like a string quartet, but not quite. Okay. All kinds of music. And I heard that, and I watched Chet kind of really pay attention. So I got with uh, another guy, John Pell, and he and I worked out uh, a couple of tunes for, for four guitars and recorded them. And I go back to Chet, and I say, is this what Shell was talking about? Just to see if he would go for it, you know? Yeah. And he said, well, let me get Leona on the phone. Oh. And that was, how, that was how I got excited about something, to take the next step. So uh, you can find it, you know, uh, in garage sales now and yard sales, but also I think on Amazon you can still find it. It's the Nashville Guitar Quartet. So we, essentially the four of us, uh, made from scratch, you know, some classical, some John Philip Sousa, um, a little bit of everything, you know. But it's, at least go to YouTube and check out the tunes. I Great. Really got, you know, thrown into the middle of trying to create something out of nothing. It was one of the most exciting things I ever did, you know. Yeah. You know, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking it sounds like on your journey, you've been really open to whatever possibilities are out there or what comes your way. Well, it doesn't just come your way because you went to classes and you went to workshops. I mean, it wasn't like you were just sitting around waiting for someone to come to your door. But that kind of leads me to my next thought. You know, the show is called Tips for Guitar Playing Success. And I think it would be really fun and helpful for my listeners to get some advice or hints or tips for people who are starting out or trying to play finger style or finger picking style, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, there's uh, one thing I think about a lot is how when we all start, we're not that good. Mm -hmm. And everybody says, you know, get it right the first time because it's hard to fix. Well, there is no getting it right the first time. No way. Just like when you learn how to talk, you ask for a, a cookie and eventually you learn how to say cookie. You know? Right, right. Sure. Still, yeah, yeah. You still get one. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the same thing is true with the guitar. I remember... Uh, when I started, I think I could play C, you know, and some things like that. Uh, 
And you watch us all. We all start like this. If you miss the train, I'm on. Oh, yeah. Stop. Look at the cord. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you're worried about the guitar playing more than you are the music. Yeah. I find what happens is almost all of us shrink that time, but it never Mm -hmm. goes away. So our time is always a little kind of influenced by our beginning years. So what I would say is to go back in and sing along with yourself. Mm. And if you find that there's a gap like that, look, in this case, when I go from a C to an A minor, I look to see what is each finger doing? Well, it turns out that finger doesn't go anywhere. Where am I in the picture here? I'm not, okay, here we go. So that, my, that finger doesn't go anywhere. This one doesn't go anywhere. Right. So moves over and makes that note. So you don't want to let go of everything. You want sure. to move like this. And it should almost look like you're not doing anything. And when you're not having to sling that much meat around, you know, it's easier to kind of go from one thing to the next. And you could even say, if you miss the train I'm on, yeah. you will know. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm not even pressing the strings. I'm just arriving and staying loose. I love that. You're just arriving. Yes. So, And now the thing is, I'm trying to be the beginner I would have been if I'd already been an excellent player. <laughs> sure, all my foundations are solid. Yes. As soon as I can do that, I look at everything else, and all my playing benefits from me doing you know things like that. <clears throat> I think the other thing I would say is um, anything. You know, there's something about like uh, on a guitar. Here's an E. Here's an E. Here's another one up here. So everything's on here more than once. Right. So if you learn to do something, look for another place to do the same thing. Oh, okay. Start unraveling the mystery of how everything is laid out. So if you can play this. The same three notes, three different places. Each okay. Each different character. But you right. also learn kind of, oh, that one here, that's part of this chord we all play, the, the ugly bar chord that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I think that one is a good one. And then and what I was just doing, you know, I'm not like a great singer. Nobody's going to offer me a record deal. But I love to sing. And when I sing, I breathe and I phrase because I'm a human, you know. So yeah. I do that, then my guitar playing starts sounding more and more like singing. And this is something that everybody can do at every mm. level. The sooner yes. you start thinking like breathing and phrasing, the, the better you'll be. And the more you'll grow as a player, too. I love that advice. Would you say you still use that technique or skill when you're working on something new? I do. Yeah, absolutely. What I've what I found is uh, if I'm working on something I haven't played before, <clears throat> there's likely to be a move that I'm not good at doing. So I go back and say, okay, what finger is here? I was doing, well, for, when I played a little bit of Entertainer, see. So I'm, it, it, yes, you're right, it's piano. And as a matter of fact, what I had was the easy big note, how to play the soundtrack of the sting. You know? Okay. And I'm moving things over, like up two frets. And what I realized is we all we know how to play D chords. We always play it this way or this yep. way. Yeah. I also play it this way. Okay. So I got this finger free to do other stuff. So if I do this, I realized that my pinky being down... Now, at one point or another, I've moved through every finger that's a part of a D chord, but I'm not squeezing the whole D chord. 
I'm doing one finger. Oh, I see what you, yeah. Now. Now the pinky has been there almost the whole time. Right. Piece of the D chord, but I've learned to take it apart and put it back together so that I'm never, not ever using uh, an unnecessary finger. Because what I want to say. I see. Yes. That kind of singing, dancing feel. So I do that a lot. I want to know where each finger is going. There's also in the classical world, there's one where you, and I'm going up to the seventh fret. And if I just pick up each finger and put it down. Yes. What I find out is this finger barely comes up. Yes. Ring finger. Pinky index is the one that's really free. But that one just almost doesn't go. Yeah. So what if you taught the other fingers to move, like the ring finger, just to barely clear? So I'm avoiding this. Yes. Yeah. I'm never going back to ground zero. I'm always moving like this. Well, you know, I think it goes to that concept of you don't need to come all the way off the neck of the guitar because you're probably going like right next to where you already are anyway. Yeah. And as far as picking over the sound hole, what are some ideas or tips or thoughts you'd like to share about that? Well, one of the things I found is that your ring finger is the least informed. So <laughs> my ring finger and my middle finger to move like a team. Good. Okay. Right? So we just play two notes with those two fingers. And if okay. you're working together like that, yeah. what happens is, this your ring finger eventually learns what your middle finger knows, and it oh, I see. Okay, yes, that's ring all by itself. Middle finger. I see. What you want them, you want them to feel the same and sound the same, so you can always call on any finger. I think a lot of times you get that um, in the folk music world, especially you get to put your first finger on the third string, you know, assign a string to each finger. Sure. And that certainly happens a lot. But sure. But not how I think. I think about assigning a melody to this finger. That's then, interesting. I like so, that. You know, you know what? Here, here's, here's the thing. So here's how melodies sound. Ring finger. Here's how bass lines sound. And then the, uh, the chords sound like this. find a set of strings after this. Huh? <laughs> so for instance, if I made a, uh, this is like a C major seven chord, that's either a jazz chord or a James Taylor chord, depending on, you know. Yes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play my ring finger as if it's a melody. Okay. My, in, my thumb as if it's a bass note. And then I'm going to play these. And what I'm doing is I'm putting, I'm stopping the string right after I play it. Oh, I see. Yes. Now I can talk and play it at the same time. No. <laughs> so what I'm kind of doing is giving the feeling that it's, it's a little band, you know. Now Chad would do that by making his thumb keep time like this. Uh, like the polka sound on an accordion, you know. Uh, right. 
the first time you try and make your thumb do one thing and your finger do something else, you can't. Mm, yes. So here's a, a starting place I've found because there's somebody out there saying, maybe we don't want to do that. So here you go. Here's a G chord, right? Here's the part of a G chord you need to play the bass. All the rest right. of these fingers will play a melody. All I did was play the scale and hang on with my finger. Now what I'm going to do is make my thumb go sixth string, fourth string. And now I'm going to play uh, notes with my fingers. I'll play, here's a G, here's an A. Did you notice that? I could sing that A before I played it. I think I taught myself what things sound like. Back down. Two B's, two A's, an A and a B. And I'm just doing, I'm trying to keep this going while I do little snippets. And probably the one to try first is, are you sleeping? And then you risk your life. Da, 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 you know? I was going to say, okay, where's he going with that? <laughs> so what I did in the beginning, I would say, don't try to play the whole thing. Maybe you do this. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Brother John, Brother John. Now I'm going to sing, morning bells are ringing. See, my thumb is keeping time, but my voice has got the rhythm. So at least make sure you can keep time while the melody does something uh, that's more sophisticated. You were talking about a thumb pick, but it doesn't look like you're playing with a thumb pick. Do you typically use a thumb pick? No, now I play with my thumbnail. Thumbnail, okay. Play with a thumb pick, what you'll end up doing is turning your hand this way because so, the pick is coming out of your thumb on the side, right? Sure. With your thumbnail, and you raise up like that. So ah. Thumbnail. So I, I, what it is is when I studied the classic guitar, I found out how many colors I could get out of my thumb. And so uh, it just more voices. And, I, and again, for having to listen to orchestra music, it's, it's like a little chamber group, you know. So. Nice. I, I just made that up, incidentally. Oh, see? Hey, we're on the cutting edge of. a lot of time trying to see if I can just play something. And up here, I, I heard it. So I'm trying to tap into being able to play my imagination. Now, what happens if I can't? I just, well, I just can't, that's all. <laughs> you know, no big deal. Right. Nothing yeah. to risk. That's such a great way to look at it. So I think these tips are phenomenal and amazing. And I think everyone's going to want to do all of these things, which is great. But hey, they might want to see you in person or go to one of your classes or clinics or see you perform. So how can people reach you if they want to learn more from John Knowles? Sometimes the website, although my calendar is spotty and being up to date, you know, uh, but I talk about things on Facebook a lot. So you'll see me there. And I'm trying to put more things on YouTube and talk about what's coming up. This year, uh, in September, I'll be doing Tommy Emanuel's Guitar Camp. Oh, yeah. Here in Nashville. And I think that's the one that's still kind of in the future. You could go to Tommy Emanuel's website and see who else is teaching. Richard Smith. It's a great lineup, you know. Uh, and uh, what he typically does is have 
you know, seven or eight teachers, and then we're all taking turns in small groups. While I'm there, I may, uh, there might be uh, like 100 people there, but I'm going to see 20 or 30 of them. And then every now and then I'll see a group of two or three. So we're rotating around. Nice. But you get some, some things that can be conveyed to everybody. And then some things where you really want to ask a question and see, you know, what's yeah. going on. We play with each other. And then at the end of the week, everybody can uh, say, I want to play a tune with John. Or I'd like to play a tune with Tommy. Or I'd like to play with Richard Smith. And now nice. kind of the raffle system, or they'd all be playing with Tommy, you know. Oh, nice. So wow. one of the ones that I really like, especially for somebody who I would call a beginner, intermediate player, is the Puget Sound Guitar Workshop. Oh, yes. In, uh, in Seattle area. And I'll go there next week. Uh, the thing I like about the Puget Sound Camp is its beginnings are folk music around the campfire. Oh, I love that. Up from that. So that the, both the, the simplicity of what you play, but also the community of sharing experience, you know. And um, so even if I'm teaching an advanced player, there's still that kind of thing where at the end of the week, you make it up and play together on stage. And they sure. Dance, you know, they, people, you can either be in the band or you can dance or you can sing with the band. Nice. All these kind of music making opportunities and a real strong community. Um. The other one I'm going to this year is the Rocky Mountain Guitar Camp. Oh, okay. More kind of intermediate finger style oriented. Uh, and it's uh, this year it's actually in Arvada, which is right outside Denver, in a hotel that we have been meeting up at the YMCA camp where a person can barely breathe, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not part of the box to go around. But that's a good group. So we'll have, um, the thing I like about that, there'll be six of us teaching and about 40 students. Nice. Moment. Every now and then we're all together. Right. Now I might team teach with Richard Smith or Pat Bergeson. But then also we might have a group of three or four. We've each got a group of three or four. Yes. Answer small. And then we also put together a band. So I'll have some beginners, some more advanced players. You know, Uh, this year I think I may play. uh, Chet had a tune with with that. So if you think of the chord, it's got four chords. So you can play the rhythm, you can play like Chet played, or you can play. So there's room in the band for everybody, depending on how they play. And so we'll rehearse our band, and then at the end of the week, there'll be a student concert with band segments in between. And then also that one, I think this has happened everywhere too. Uh, there's a real sense of uh, legacy now that some of us have been out there a while. And so like at the Rocky Mountain camp, if we play a concert somewhere, we put the jar out there. This is for scholarships for kids. Oh, I love that. So this year there'll be a couple of kids there on scholarship. So. Oh, that's, I love to hear that. That's I'll, I'll give you fantastic. Of of and, uh, I think the Rocky Mountain camp May still have a space. I know Tommy's has a few spaces. Uh, and I don't know, the Puget Salmon goes on for four weeks. I'm about ready to do one of the weeks, you know. Uh, oh, I see. There's several weeks. Yeah. So that okay. started off one week and it just grew. So, but put all those on your radar and look at what's going on. Think about who you are as a player. And all, all of them have videos and things like that. Yeah, send me those links and I'll include them in the show notes and also your Facebook and anything else so people can reach you. 
know, through TrueFire is I have a TrueFire channel. Oh, okay. What means is that I'm creating little lessons. One of the ones on the TrueFire channel is this one. That one I will show on everybody. But then things with more... Uh, Then uh, things that have kind of a swing feel, which is different than a straight feel, you know. Yeah. You get different rhythmic feels while your thumb keeps time. But right. also, um, one of the ones I put in there was, uh, oh, my good friend Lenny Bro. Man, I learned so much from him. What a crazy mm. guy. Uh, and another thing, you, you meet somebody through chat again, you know. Hey, John, get down here. Lenny Bro's in town. And uh, Lenny showed me where you would play a C chord and then an A minor and then a D minor and then G7. And that's like blue moon. Yes. You saw me standing alone. Now what you want to do is play a C scale. And the challenge is to change scale notes every time you change chords. C is easy. Okay, yeah. A minor with a D in it. Right. Mm. So what you end up doing is reharmonizing. And you change keys and you change scales. Uh, I'll show you one that I did uh, when Tommy and I were working on um, how Deep Is Your Love, the, the Bee Gees tune. I love that song. Worked up, but no intro. And so I took uh, the Blue Moon chords and played the scale. I see. So now it sounds like this. Oh, beautiful. Isn't that something? You know, yeah. Change the rhythm. That's beautiful. Wow. So it's, it's a way to get, it's a, like a puzzle solving. And when you hear something like that, you'll go off in a direction, your creative juices. Going. Yeah. So my True Fire channel is a lot of those little things. I'll, I'll, some things I learned from Chet, from working with Tommy, uh, some Lenny Bro tricks, some Jerry Reed tricks. So, and Great. it's a link on how people can find that one. Yeah. I'll share that with everyone in the show notes. Well, we're going to wrap it up here pretty soon. I know you probably have a million other things to do, but I am so grateful to you for sharing your knowledge and expertise and giving us your time and for my listeners being able to learn from you. And well, you're just amazing. That is really important. I tell you, I feel strongly about that. I feel like I've been given so much. If I don't share, I'm a real jerk. You know? Oh, and you are the farthest jerk. thing from that. Jerry Reed passed away, and uh, I told Jay, my son, I said, I said, Jay, all my heroes are gone. And he oh. said, Dad, it's your turn to be the hero. Yeah. Otherwise, hero means you've got a legacy job. you got to hold a torch for others yep. to ask. You know, it's not about the pedestals. It's about the torch, you know, so. And you do that so kindly and generously, and you're so easygoing about it, and you share, and that's, I think, what, helps too is you make it uh, attainable and doable and interesting and fun and creative and you show how that process works so i you know yay 
So, as I mentioned in the beginning, John is going to close out the show with some of his beautiful music. But John, before you do, I want to thank you so much for all of your words of wisdom, your kindness, and your giving spirit. I know people have learned a lot just from I'm hearing you today, so glad thank we you. We ended up on that panel together in Colorado. You know, so we're yeah. together, you know. Again, Absolutely. Platform, and it's an occasion that leads you to do things, you know. Yeah, you know, you just don't know who you're going to meet or what connections you're going to make. And I'd say you're one of those people who doesn't meet a stranger. You're a friend to everybody. At least that's how I felt when I met you. So I'll let you take it away. Maybe tell us a little bit about what you're going to play. And I can't wait to hear it. So I'm going to drop the sixth string to do E, which I do a lot. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to play in D minor. Okay. So my D minor chord is the one we all make, except I've got my pinky there, not, not my ring, you know. And this is me uh, fooling around trying to sound like classical music. <laughs> right? And when I did that, that sounded European to me. And then I thought about going over to France with uh, fingerstyle guitarist Marcel Dadi, mm. good friend. And um, so I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to Paris again. So I had actually started to call this tune Paris again. And I thought, nah, I called it After Paris because that had a little bit more of a story. Oh, yes? Oh, and then, oh yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so now I've got, you know, some harmony. Uh, kind of a feeling, a story that I'm telling. It's not gonna. I'm not gonna tell the story with words. I'm gonna create, you know, that atmosphere. And one of the things that Marcel did is, you know, Chet would play uh, like. Uh, what Marcel would do is he change that up. Oh, okay, that has kind of a Spanish flavor. So now, enough talk. After Paris.
that was magnificent. I'll tell you something else about that tune. A lot of people learned how to play it. And I, that's one of the reasons I keep playing it, you know, is uh, Chet says, play your hit. <laughs> you know? so it's when you're beautiful. A, when you're a teacher, composer, your hit is the one that other people play, you know, so. There you go. You know you've made it. <laughs> that was, was so much fun. I just so enjoy whenever I get to spend any time with you. You're fabulous. You're awesome. And you're just, you're just so kind. <laughs> well, I tell you, I hope people who watch this will go back in and, and uh, rewind little clips and steal, you know, a 30 minute lesson from a, from a 30 second mention of something, you know. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And you've given them a lot to think about and work on. So again, thank you. You bet. I hope this episode's tip has helped you to continue expanding your guitar playing skills and knowledge. If you'd like to learn more, please check out the many learning resources available at marlenesmusic.com. Thank you for joining today's podcast. And as I like to say, play on.